Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join all the networks. Hey, everybody. Good evening. This is Harriet Kimmick with Down to Earth. It's the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And I know it's Tuesday evening and we've all just watched what the president had to say. I really didn't watch it. I was too busy wrapping up to get ready for this. But I imagine he had a lot to say because we're still in the midst of a pandemic and we're watching our fellow citizens, our brothers and sisters in the Southern part of the country grapple to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. I'm glad the president got a reality check, though, because he did say one of the headlines I saw is that he said it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And this is coming from a guy who said, don't worry about it. It's a hoax. It's nothing to worry about. So he's finally gotten a reality check that this is, in fact, impacting and and affecting the way we all conduct ourselves and has become reluctantly our norm since March. Here in the Midwest, where I live, in Michigan, the cases are slowly spiking. So that means that for us, it means wearing masks, it means social distancing, and it means that some of us are choosing to work more from home so we don't have to go back out and interact too much. So I'm encouraging everybody. I know there's no disinfectant spray in the store, so don't don't bother. Just get some bleach. (laughs) and pour it into a spray bottle with water and water it down so that we can disinfect our services. There is no disinfectant bleach. You you disinfectant spray. You can barely find hand sanitizers, probably more of that. And you can, I think you can still find some sanitation wipes, sanitizing wipes. Outside of that, you can't find disinfecting spray if you need it to save your life. Isn't that crazy? Can you believe it's the summer? We're talking about disinfecting spray. Disinfectant spray. I mean, think about it. But anyway, today on our show, I want to talk about something that is not a buzzword, but it's an article I came across that I thought I'd share with you, the public, to get your reaction. How do you feel about it? In, In the era of Black Lives Matter and police violence and violent encounters that people of color have with law enforcement, and people talking about police reform, I came across a story that kind of like changed the conversation a little bit. And I wanted to introduce it to you, my audience, to find out how you feel about it. And the story surrounds a a little known to the public influencer on police policy that we would never have thought about. It's called insurance companies because we don't think about that. When we call 911 and the police come over, We don't think about risk. We think only about the police mitigating whatever activity is going on and making us feel safe. I know that in my encounters with law enforcement previously, whenever I saw the police, I felt assured. As you know, I lived with a violent husband who beat me up. So whenever the police showed up, they were relief for me. In fact, the last time they showed up, they were like, We're not coming back here, so he's gone. You can live free, right? So that's a positive, 
positive encounter with the police. And that's what we want. We want at all times as citizens to walk away from encounters with the police feeling positive. Now, typically when police encounters with the public, it, it's never a good time, right? We often say that when you see people in, uh, in, in courts and, and at the jail, it's typically they're at their worst. And that's because that's what police do. Their job is to mitigate violence. Their job is to keep the peace, as they say, serve and protect. But I'm gonna to read to you some names that might not leave us with that feeling that necessarily that that's what the police do, that they only serve and protect, that folks, these folks, if they were alive, they could have said or would have said that I had a nonviolent encounter with law enforcement. But this is what happens. But this evening, I want to turn the conversation just a little bit and put into perspective how the police can be reformed and how they are being reformed without you and I even having anything to do with it. Like, seriously, you and I are not even touching it. You and I are not even saying anything where they're not passing legislation. The insurance companies are driving the issue of police reform. And as part of the nonviolent community, as part of a community that wants to see an end to violence, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't mind at all. I can do, we can, I think we can all do with all the help we can get, but more importantly, I think that the, the insurance companies doing it might not be bad. Now, the offshoot of that is that insurance companies are wealthy. So naturally, they're pushing their own agendas. But in this scenario, I think they only have one agenda. You know what that agenda is? It's to save themselves a payout, save themselves some money. So how do they do that? Well, as you know, police departments are, are run and are authorized by local jurisdictions. So the city council, cities, run their police department. So it's not controlled by the state. The state policing apparatuses are usually like the state police or what we call the state troopers. They patrol the highways and the freeways and they also control some of the uh, policing activities. So the way the system is structured is really neat because you have the local police in your city, and then of course you have the county sheriffs, and of course you have the state police. That is before you get to certain kinds of crimes that are federal, that attract the big, the big guys. Well, so local police are authorized by their local precincts, by their local uh, uh, city city councils and city council charters and so on. Well, for you to operate as a public entity, you must have insurance. For you to deal with the public, if you have a business, you must have insurance. If you, are, if you have people, you must have employer's liability. If just on your home alone, you have what is called a public liability clause. Don't you have a liability clause that if somebody slip and slide in front of your house, then they don't sue you and take your house. They actually will sue your insurance company, right? And us being a very litigious nation, naturally that's what we do. <laughs> we sue. So police departments have liability coverage on themselves that are carried by cities. Now, you and I, we don't think about that. We just think that, okay, they're driving the car, they're going to pull people over who are breaking the law, or something. That is what we want to think. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But police departments carry heavy lawsuits. 
the reason they have to carry so much is because recently there have been large payouts by police departments that is high risk for insurance companies. So insurance companies have had to employ tactics to reduce their payouts. I'm laying the case for you so we have some context within which to have our discussion. So police departments carry insurance coverage and carry more coverage. So in one city, for instance, the police were sued and it exceeded the city budget. One city in Tennessee, can you believe this? They had to disband the police department. The city budget, the police sued, the lawsuit that came against the police department exceeded the city's budget. So they had to disband the police department. So what insurance companies have done is they have as what they call risk, undertaking risk and underwriting the risk, they do what is called a risk assessment. So XYZ cities, so because cities are part of the government, right? The government has a pool of insurance that they go to. So a group of cities in a region, maybe in a state or in a common, let's say a common metropolitan region, like let's use the, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to use the Chicago metropolitan area simply because parts of the Chicago metropolitan area include two, two states, Wisconsin and uh, Indiana, right? So <clears throat> let's use them. So the cities that are common in that area might go to what is called a government pool of insurers. So this insuring group will come and they look at the city and they say, well, let me see what your payout looks like. And surprisingly, which surprised some of us, because some of us uh, didn't think about this, is that police departments actually do have high payouts. They do. And what, they, what insurance companies have found is that there are certain bad actors in police departments who move from one jurisdiction to another. And because of them, whenever they show up in a, in a police department, there usually ensues lawsuits. Imagine that the insurance companies have a list of bad actors in police departments across the country who have caused insurance companies to pay out. When you hear stuff like this, it makes you wonder then, what do the cities, the administrators of the cities who authorize police departments, what do they do? Do they ask for some kind of accounting? Do they ask for some sort of accountability? Because when the police, when you are the city and you're the one writing the check to pay out on the insurance, on the insurance claim and to pay out the insurance premium every month, do you ask what the heck is going on over there? Why are there so many reports of police violence? Why are there so many reports of people suing the police? Because it, we read only about the big ones, the big claims. But what about people who just sue for 500000 or 30,000, or people who just file a suit for 100 grand. What about those? All we're reading about now are the large payouts. The large payouts are astronomical. There is one payout right now in a city in Washington called Lakewood. Lakewood, Washington right now has a payout of over 13 million. It exceeded the city's budget. The city has only paid out 11.5 million. The remainder, they have to go take up a bond issue to raise the 2 million to finish paying out this lawsuit. Are you hearing me? Because when the police showed up, this black man, it was a domestic dispute. A 
domestic violence dispute. The man is standing on the porch with his four-year-old son. When the police showed up, they showed up with a SWAT team. Ladies and gentlemen, now, if you have ever been in a domestic violence situation, there's a lot of crying, a lot of screaming, and a lot of emotion. Been there, done that, wrote the book called Through the Fire. There, there is an intense, intense situation, emotional situation there. But in this scenario, this guy is Leonard Thomas. When he showed up, when the police showed up, he was standing on the porch with his son. Now, you and I know that there are some real bad actors out there. Let's give them that. And there are some real bad actors who are going to pretend that nothing is going on. They're going to act like, there, you know, ain't nothing wrong with this. Uh, by the time the police show up, they're usually very calm and acting like a choir boy. Let's just be real now. Let, let, let's be real with our friends, our brothers, and our cousins. It is what it is. They are going to act like a car boy, a choir boy. So the woman who is saying he beat me up, the, the guy standing over there saying, no, man, I didn't do that. She shoved me first. She hit me first. But he was the one who almost nearly killed her. So the police showed up. They're all white. And they shot this man to death while he was holding his four-month-old, his four-year-old son on his porch. That was an outcry. Was this force necessary? The police showed up with SWAT teams and snipers and everything in their book. It was like a military operation. You're not going for a serial killer. You're going for a domestic violence guy with his wife beater on. You, two of you can tackle him, put him to the ground. If he has a gun, shoot him in his leg. Let him disable him so he doesn't rise up. But for the love of God in Christ Jesus, you can't show up and shoot the man. Excessive force was applied. Are you hearing me? Well, in the ensuing investigation, what the insurance company found was that that those police officers who shot that man up had, in fact, a trail of complaints against them in previous jurisdictions. This is why when this whole thing with George Floyd was going on, you heard some police departments say, well, we need a national database of actors so we can know who they are as they move from one jurisdiction to the other. That might be true because these, the police officers involved in the Lakewood incident with, with Leonard Thomas have history, significant history of being bad actors elsewhere. You know, recently, one of my Facebook friends posted that he doesn't appreciate the negative sentiment coming from the public directed at the police department in Detroit because he feels that for years the Detroit Police Department has had uh, a good relationship with, uh, with, with, with all of us. And we say, yeah, that's true. That's, that's very true. So he said he didn't really appreciate us acting and, and people saying and the public saying bad things and so on. And I said, because his, his defense was there are only less than 1% of bad actors and 99.99% are good. So everybody was like, including me, said, well, what are you guys doing about the ones who are bad that is making it seem like everybody is bad? That's what happened here in Lakewood, in Lakewood Washington. Two bad actors made the entire city almost bankrupt. A large payout of $13 million in a lawsuit. This is why insurance companies felt compelled 
to make certain demands on police jurisdictions and police administrators and city leaders that you must change. So, so insurance companies began uh, consult- sending out consultants. One of the things they were teaching police is how to minimize, de-escalate, conflict resolution. Are you hearing me? And teaching police officers how not to be so excessively violent. I kid you not, right? I kid you not. Loss prevention. So typically when you and I come across terms like loss prevention uh, in, in an insurance setting, we're like, okay, or, you know, you know, you think, well, they're trying to prevent loss, <laughs> right? Kind of looking at you tongue in cheek. Well, in, in this story, what they're trying to prevent is a large payout from a police department because the police use excessive force on citizens. Maybe this is why when this movement started, police felt touchy because by the time the public awareness rose up, they were already getting it from the consultants, from the city department, from their own administrators, from the mayors of cities, from politicians, from interested parties who have an investment and who have some sort of interest, insurable interest, I would call it, in ensuring that police maintain the peace. I, I, I kid you not, let, 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 let me just put, some, put, just put in the numbers. I like to run the numbers because I like when folks see the numbers. Because the numbers tell the story. The facts don't lie. Here are the facts. You know what the facts say? The facts say that the payouts are huge. And I'm going to start from the bottom. This is what I have. Michael Brown, Ferguson, that police department was sued for $1.5 million. That was the settlement. Right? Freddie Gray, that was $6.4 million. Eric Garner, the New York Police Department, paid out $5.9 million. Tamir Rice, $6 million. And the granddaddy of them all is Leonard Thomas, 11 Actually, $13 million was the lawsuit. There is no way that insurance companies are going to continue to make these payouts without asking for accountability. Insurance companies are not in the business of giving money away. This is why when you and I have a claim, they find a way to deny. We could read the fine print, unless you're a lawyer, unless you've had your lawyer read the fine print, I kid you not, you're not getting away from an insurance company. Insurance companies are quietly changing the way the police police their activities. Why? Not because they have an insurable interest, not because they're passionate about change, not because they're passionate about police reform, but simply because of the money. I tell folks this all the time, follow the money. Follow the money. You're going to find success. Just follow the money. Follow the money every time. It will always reveal it. It will always come through. And I know a lot of people, a lot of public profiles don't want to take this topic on because you're afraid of reprisal from the police. Now, the police don't have any reason to fear me, and I shouldn't fear them because I am the citizen, right? I am unarmed. I may be walking around in black and brown skin, but I'm still unarmed, right? has nothing to do with my gender, has to do with my posture. I am unarmed. I'm not a threat. I am just a person. So the police should not fear me. So I should not fear the police when I'm driving down the street. I should not fear the police if they show up when, you know, something is going on and I happen to be there. I should not have to fear that they're going to immediately assume that in a crowd filled with other people that I am the one they're going to pick on. 
Nobody should go through that. Unfortunately, this has not been the cumulative experiences of people of color. Invariably, when these kinds of encounters happen, they walk away with either a prison sentence or, in the cases of Michael Brown, Tamir Gray, Freddie Gray, Eric Garner, and Leonard Thomas, they're dead. I believe the last report I read about George Floyd is that they're suing for $30 million. Frankly, I think they should go for 100. Why? Because those four police officers, the one uh, Chauvin, I'll never forget his name, Derek Chauvin, who put his foot on the neck of George Floyd for eight minutes and 58 seconds, he should pay. He should pay for what he did. Being a police officer is, is a role that has been given to you by the community. The community expects you to live up to that. They want you to be upstanding. We know you all do your stuff. You, you, you go do things on the side and stuff. Okay. You want to make some extra money. All right. We all do. But at the same time, people should not fear violent encounters with the police. Now, there are some real bad actors out there. There are people who right now in this country, even in the city I live in, we have an incidence of violent crime. We have an incidence where uh, the pandemic that has forced and created massive unemployment has push, pushed people who were marginalized further off the margin, pushed them over into beyond the tipping point. So now they're faced with unemployment and no money. They are murderous. They're killing people literally in the streets. There's a fight. They're firing shots. It's out of control. Now, as far as I'm concerned, there has always been violent crime. In America. Why? I'm one of the statistics. 92% of women who are killed are killed by someone they know and love. That's a high number. Why should it be 92%? Check this one out. 75% of women who leave a violent relationship die within 18 months. Why should that even exist? It tells us that the police don't do a good job of policing enough to get rid of violent crime. Homicides are still up. I saw a recent report where homicides in New York City alone have gone up 118%. Robbery, auto theft have gone up over 100%. What is driving that is poverty. Poverty drives violence. Now, the police are the ones patrolling the streets. The police are the ones who have interactions with violent criminals. Before it gets to the prosecutor who is going to bring the charge, the police show up. The police interview the people who are in that activity that has taken place. For the love of God, why are the police taking these concerns to city leaders? Why are they going to city leaders and saying, you need to increase more from our perspective? This is happening in that community. Do more. That's what I would do to save my own skin. Why aren't the police doing that? We have a surge in violent crime, and the police are just saying, oh, you thought you wanted to defund the police. Sometimes it makes me wonder about that. I don't believe that you don't need policing because there are people who are serial killers and rapists and human traffickers and robbers who rob senior citizens and men who like to rape women whom they think they have power over. We can't not do without the police because then there will be crime, and then there will be excessive crime. And then everybody would feel like they're a law unto themselves. We saw that during the pandemic when women had to stay in, in, in situations where 
they had no choice but to stay because you couldn't go to work, you couldn't leave, you couldn't go anywhere else because of the coronavirus. So you were stuck with an abusive partner at home. Violence in those situations went up astronomically, not just in America, but worldwide. It's a little known fact that we don't talk about. We do need the police, but the police has a responsibility as well. The responsibility they have is to police the police. Now, having read what the insurance companies do, I'm not sure that as a citizen that I should hand over the responsibility of policing the police to the insurance company because they have an agenda. Their agenda is money. So if if the choice comes between training, yeah, they're likely to not spend the money at all. One of the things that I've seen interestingly that has happened is that police have become more militarized. Have you noticed? They have equipment that I thought I would only see in, you know, in war or something. I mean, they have these big tanks and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes the police officer looks like he's a soldier. And I'm like, huh, where are we? Is that how they feel about citizens? Like when they went to see this guy, Leonard Thomas, who beat up his girlfriend. Did he look like, I mean, what did you expect? This is what we call the peak of violence. That's an intersection right there, the intersectionality of violence. Here's a violent man who beats up his partner, beats up his family members. And then here comes the police with the the bigger guns. (laughs) That's an intersection of violence. Nothing good is ever going to come out of that. I wish that most of those encounters don't happen because a lot of police who have lost their lives actually lose their lives in those kinds of scenarios. So sometimes it makes you wonder, doesn't it? If the reason the police are so aggressive is because they feel threatened. They feel like I'm not going to lose my life over some careless person today. I want to go home today. Sometimes it makes you wonder, in which case we have to retrain It sounds to me like we need to retrain. Why did you become a police officer in the first place? How do we send the police out when someone calls and says, hurry, hurry, somebody is robbing me, hurry, send somebody. They're they're coming adrenaline pumping, ready to pump bullets into someone because they're fired up, because they're trained to shoot first and ask questions later. You see what I'm saying? So we have this intersectionality of violence. That is what is driving these negative encounters with police officers. But the problem is that what most of the society is now beginning to see that the rest of us have been saying is that these negative encounters disproportionately affect people of color. So a white girl and I are driving down the street. She's least likely to be pulled over and leave away from the police with a violent encounter or with a negative encounter as a person of color I am most likely to be the one to walk away with a negative experience. That is what we're seeing. So we need the police to not look at people through the eyes of color. And I mean, let's just be clear. People are human. They come to their jobs with all kinds of biases and hang-ups. The police just seem to have a little bit more power to exercise their biases. I remember years ago, I sat in a... um, in kind of a roundtable discussion with uh, in a local jurisdiction, and uh, people from the police were there. And w- when I asked, because 
I was just curious. I said, when you guys go to the scene of a domestic violence case, do you, you know, kind of try to de-escalate or? And the way the officer answered, he was like, de-escalate? What are you talking about? When y'all go, and I was like, when he realized he was the only person in the room acting like that, that's when he calmed down. And I said to myself, here is the problem. I said, that's a problem. And I remember saying to myself, this is going to be a problem someday. That's what we're seeing played out. So it's not so long ago. This was about eight to nine years ago. I remember thinking to myself, because see, the police come to situations thinking that this is a bad guy. I need to take out the bad guy. Yeah, I like your adrenaline and courage and stuff, but kind of take it on a notch so we all go home or they're going to jail and go to jail kind of thing. Rather than people leaving here in body bags, we want to minimize and mitigate that as much as possible. You see what I'm saying? We need to be able to get to the idea that every encounter that people of color have with the police does not have to walk away leaving in a body bag. People can actually walk away in handcuffs, y'all, and let the due process justice system work it out. People don't have to be locked up. I know sometimes the police, especially in domestic violence situations, they will take one person away as a way of reducing the tension and giving the other person some time to think about whether you really want to be there with someone who's beating you up and you have to call the police constantly. Maybe some people who work for the police are tired. You've been there for 20 years. You stay in the job. Come on, just be, just be nice. Just be honest. You, you all know what I'm talking about. You stay in the job because it gives you a good pension. It stays, you stay in the job because you get good benefits. You don't really stay there because you actually really like what you do. You're really just tired of these people. Take a break, dude. Chill. Go on vacation. There are real problems out there. We have the we because we're a gun-toting wild, wild west nation, we have a problem with guns. There are too many guns on the street. There are too many guns. Everybody just feels like I can wear my two guns on my hips and just pull it out and just toot, toot, toot to everybody who I have a problem with. We need to change our own mindset. Right now in the city of Detroit, people, black people are killing black people. It's ridiculous. What are you all doing? Cut it out. Can't be killing all of your people off. Yeah? And then the police have to go and, and figure that out? No. But it makes us all wonder, then then why are you letting it get so bad in the first place? This is one of the things I've been saying from the beginning, that we don't need to defund the police. But at the same time, violent crime has always existed, especially during the summer in the cities of Detroit, Philly, Baltimore, Compton. And during summer, there's always violent crime because more people are out and so on. This year, it is coupled with the pandemic. The pandemic has pushed unemployment to astronomical levels. Because of systemic and structured racism, unemployment among people of color is the highest it has been. Imagine a scenario in which they don't have a job, they can't work, really, so the little job that they got at the corner store, it doesn't happen anymore because the corner store lost its traffic due to the virus. So it doesn't have customers, it can't pay anybody. He lives in a rented house. He has to go home to that rented house. 
they're they're putting him out because they couldn't pay the rent. You expect that to be a nice guy? That's not going to be nice. The other scenario to that is that he lives in a house with multi-generations. They're going to take out a knife, a kitchen knife, and stab each other while they're arguing over who didn't do the dishes last night and who drank the last drip of Coke that was in the, in the fridge. They're going to argue about the one egg that was left <laughs> and someone fried it and ate it. They're going to argue about that. Do you see what I'm saying? So the desperation is driving the violence. Unemployment and poverty are the triggers for the current surge in violence that we're seeing. Where is the police? What are the police doing about that? They ain't doing nothing because the insurance companies have them by the balls. The insurance companies are saying, I don't want to pay out this money. So you're going to have to go to a program where you are retrained to mitigate violence. It is crazy that the insurance companies are doing the job of regulating police departments. Where are the regulators? Why is there no oversight? In every city, there's a board of police commissioners. What do you all do when you go sit down there and talk? Oh, the police chief shuts you up. So how does he get on the ballot? Oh, I guess. I know why. Because your son got caught up in a situation and you had to call the chief to get him out of jail. You got caught in a situation and you had to call the police chief. So you now can't tell the police what to do. That's the problem. Or you're sleeping with a guy who is the police officer. So now you can't tell him what to do because he has you now by the by the balls, literally, figuratively, and literally. We have a problem. The insurance companies now have all of us, literally, by our throats, gouging out all the money that it can get because the insurance companies are the ones carrying the liability of the bad actors in the police department. So then the insurance companies have the data. So to all the networks, I just got your job, made your job easier for you. So all the investigative journalists out there, the insurance companies have the database of all the police bad actors. They can create that database and publish it so everybody knows. As a matter of fact, it should be part of the hiring practice. Somebody comes to you in the, in the case of this town in California, Maywood. Did you know that the one guy who was the problem in that town, the one police officer, can't name him, obviously. He had been through other jurisdictions. How in Dickens' name was he hired? When he was hired, there was an uptick in complaints against the police. It got so bad, the city finally said, we cannot have our own police department anymore. They gave it up. And the county had to take over patrolling their streets and their cities. They literally disbanded it. Why? Because the insurance payout, they couldn't afford to pay the insurance premiums. Because the insurance companies don't like any of us. The insur- we're, they're not our friends. They like our money. So if they have to pay out a claim to you more than once, they start charging you and gouging it out. Same thing they do with cities and jurisdictions across the country. So the question I have to ask is, well, what are we going to do about that? What on earth are we going to do? Because it seems like we have a problem, don't we? It's a big problem. The problem is that we have a problem of violence. Let's just be clear. The problem is violence. What are the contributing factors to violence? Wherever people feel disenchanted, there's going to be violence. So what do you do? 
what do you do? Do you make sure that there are adequate resources that are provided and that they're distributed? You don't have to distribute them as if you're in a socialist system, but you should at least distribute them. Look around you. I drive through the streets of Detroit, especially downtown. There used to be, up until about seven, eight years ago, a lot of homeless people. There are some streets in Detroit I never drive on. You wouldn't see them catch me in a day. Now they have cleaned those people out. How come it couldn't have been done before? In those areas, violent crime was on the uptick. Now it's in the neighborhoods. Why? Because the attention by the city administrators is not on the neighborhoods. You heard me, Ray. When the city administrators turn the spotlight on, violent crime will be reduced. Makes the police job easier, doesn't it? But at the same time, you've got to have, you are the police chief. You get the reports every day. I know you get incident reports overnight because that's what your job is. I know you do. Do you look at which there has to be some common thread, this job, this guy, this dude, this jackal. Every time he's on, there's always an ensuing complaint. What do you do with him? Oh, he has a police union. So we, the public, are hemmed in. The insurance companies, <laughs> the police departments, the lackluster performance of city administrators, right? Their reluctance to do effective, do their jobs effectively. And then we are locked in by the criminals. It's like you and I are just standing in the middle like, oh God, is there any help? There's no oversight. There's nobody hammering away at these issues. Because the police officer who is a bad actor in Maywood will be a bad actor in Detroit, will be a bad actor in Chicago. That's just it. And you don't like me, try coming for me. I don't care. You ain't going to hurt me. I can promise you that, right? The fact is the truth is the truth. And the fact of the matter is that we have a problem with violence. And it's not a problem that is going to be solved overnight. It's a problem that has been building and mushrooming for decades, centuries, that successive city administrators just leave. I I said this last year that people just go to work. And, and become elected just so they can go to a cocktail party, just so they can commiserate, just so they can mix and mingle. They forget the agenda when they go in because they feel that they're impervious to things like this, that it won't affect them. And the, the, the truth of the matter is it affects all of us. Right now, we have a problem with violence. This pandemic caught us off guard, I will admit. We weren't prepared for this. We didn't see coming from 100 miles away. But we should have been prepared because we elected leaders, people who said they were going to fix things and they never did anything. And now we're caught with our pants down. And the residue from this pandemic is increased violence in our streets. On top of that, we have a police force who I couldn't believe my eyes. I defend the Detroit Police Department all the time. But then you drove an SUV into into a crowd of protesters. What am I supposed to say to that? How, I, how do I walk? How do I defend that? How do I say, how do I walk away? You, you issued some of your bad actors, you call them, through pellets at journalists who were not doing anything but standing there recording what was going on. You threw pellets at them. One woman lost her eye. For what? I'll tell you this. People are protesting. 
Why would you want to go stand in front of the police? He has a gun, you don't. I'm not standing in front of him. If he gets angry, he's a man. He's trained. He's a, she's a woman. They're trained to pull their gun out. I'm not standing in front of them. I'm standing over here saying, don't shoot me. <laughs> That's me. Yes, march and protest, but don't go in front of the police. We live in a culture of violence. You don't want that to be turned on you. Everybody's on a tipping point these days. You know, I'm one of those persons who I don't like people cutting me off on the freeway. Have you noticed they're not doing that much anymore? <laughs> because people are afraid now that people will hurt them. Once upon a time, I used to wonder why they cut me off. I thought it was because I was driving this big old white truck. Right? I changed my cars and they're still cutting me off. After a while, you're like, no, they just see me. I probably just look non-threatening. So they're like, oh, I can just get in front of her. She's not going to do anything. You wish. But you notice nobody's cutting anybody off because we all recognize that people are people. And people are at a tipping point where they really, 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 really don't want to be touched or don't want to aggravate anybody. We've got a problem. Our problem is violence. We have a problem where we have left the city and we have let the insurance companies take over police reform. So all the protesting that people are doing across the country, is it making an impact on city government? Is it making an impact on county jurisdictions? Is it making an impact on the people who signed the checks, the one person who it is making an impact on are the insurance companies? They're the ones sitting back and watching all of this stuff. You, you know, the insurance company who insured the Minnesota Police Department, I guarantee you they've probably reinsured themselves about 100 times since because they are on the hook for $30 million. They're probably crying. The insurance companies who insured uh, the city of New York, the police department, having watched all that interaction, they're like, oh, my God, this is going to be so bad. Guys, you can't use a baton. You can't use force, an excessive force. Why? I have you, we have to ask ourselves this question. Why the people who join the police force are so violent in the first place? That is the real question. Why? Is it because you're going to deal with violence that it takes a violent personality? Is that what it is? Is it, as a society, are we afraid to look inwards? Are we afraid to ask ourselves that question because we're afraid of the answer? The answer is yes, resoundingly yes. They are valid because you have to be completely fearless to do, to get up every day, put that uniform on, strap that gun on, get behind the wheel of a car that says Detroit police and drive around. Yeah, I'm picking on them because they're a neighborhood. They ain't going to do nothing. I love them as much as they love me. Right? It, it, it's something. It's a unique kind of characteristic. And we're in a, in a delicate place when we hand over the reins and the policing and the control to insurance regulators. We are letting insurance companies regulate our cities. They are dictating who is employed, who becomes a police officer. That should not happen. 
That is an absence of leadership. That's where the accountability has gone. We left the building. And now the insurance companies, of all people, insurance companies, you're going to trust those people who insure you and collect your money and then tell you when a flood comes that, uh uh-uh, it wasn't covered. I don't think that we should do that. I don't think that's wise. And it is not helpful. We're looking right now as a result of the protests that are taking place. I guarantee you between now and next year, they're going, these kinds of claims are going to be commonplace. More and more violent encounters are going to take place between the police and the public. It's happening right now. It happened in Portland, Oregon. Federal agents swooped in. Okay, so we can't sue the federal government. You can't sue them because they feel it. But it wasn't an emergency order. The governor, it's illegal because the governor had not declared a state of emergency. For the president, for that to happen, there has to be a state of emergency. If there was no state of emergency, it can't happen. So the people who executed that did not listen to their lawyers. It is what it is. You either know this stuff or you don't. I mean, it's just common sense, yeah, at the end of the day, right? But now we've left the building. Do you see what I'm saying? And now the insurance regulators control how police reform progresses. So if it is not in the best interest of the insurance companies, it's not going to happen. So if they don't believe that a bad actor who goes from jurisdiction to jurisdiction should not be employed, then he will be on the force and he's thrown at the mercy of the public. The public is like, Lord, not that police officer. Come on. We got to do better. We have to do better. I am sorry for folks who are police officers. You don't have a good job. I must confess, it's a violent job. It's a job that is precipitous. It's precarious and it is dangerous. I could not do it. I don't have that kind of courage. I could not get up every day and put on that uniform and walk out of my house knowing that this could be the last day, knowing that my children might. No, I couldn't do that. That's not me. So I applaud you for that. But at the same time, there are bad actors among you. And we need to get them out because they're costing cities. And more importantly, they're costing people like me our lives. We've got to get rid of structured and systemic racism that promotes the ideology that every black and brown person is a criminal. Yes, there are criminals who are black, brown, white, yellow, red, and green in every color of the human spectrum. Yes, there are bad actors. There are men, black, brown, and white, who like to beat up their families. There are men and women who like to have sex with minors. There are men and women who steal, who traffic in drugs, who traffic in human beings. Yes, they all exist. But you, the police, are supposed to be the best part of our society. You are supposed to uphold them. You are supposed to make us feel safe. When I see the blue lights in my rearview mirror, I should feel safe. I want to go back to that feeling. I wrote a book called Through the Fire, and in it, I chronicle my experiences and how I overcame domestic violence. One of the most poignant chapters in that book talks about how I got delivered. It was my neighbors who called the police. 
And when the police showed up, the officer said, this night, you are set free. Your home has been on our radar because your neighbors have been telling us that your husband is likely to kill you. I want to go back to that kind of policing. When they showed up, my daughter, who did not know those police officers, she went to them. She said, I'm glad you came because daddy is beating mommy. He's going to kill my mommy. That's the kind of policing that we want. We want police officers who show up and make us feel safe. I used to boast that here in the city of Detroit, when citizens see the car, the police car coming, they run to the police and say, that one did it, that one did it, that one over there, they did it. We don't want to run away. That's what we are supposed to do. The burden is on you. Let me explain. If they didn't tell you this in the police academy, if they didn't tell you this at the swearing-in, listen to me. The minute you put on that uniform and you took that oath and you swore to protect people whom you will encounter, they expect that of you. If you have issues with violence because your mama left you, your wife left you, your wife is sleeping around, your kids are acting crazy, don't put that uniform on that morning and go to work. If they didn't make you breakfast, you didn't have coffee, or they threw your kid out of school, or the kid is yelling at you, imagine that. You, you are over here talking to other people's kids, but your kid is acting crazy. Don't put the uniform on. Don't go out there. Look within yourself. You know you have a problem with violence. As a matter of fact, you know you don't even like black and brown people. Maybe you should get assigned to a jurisdiction where the people look more like you. So then your natural biases, your instincts, what we call implicit biases, they're there, but we don't know they're there. It won't come out. Don't do that. Because it's dangerous enough. As dangerous as it is for you, it's even more dangerous. The facts don't lie. Leonard Thomas, $13 million in a lawsuit. Tamir Rice, $6 million. Eric Garner, $5.9 million. George Floyd is untold. Breonna Taylor, we don't know yet. Ahmaud Arbery, we don't know yet. Amadou Diallo's mom took the payout, and she's formed a foundation in our son's memory so she can help others to understand. We have a problem before it becomes endemic, let's change it. Before it becomes a part of the fabric of our culture, of our society, let's to change it. This is the change. Stop resisting the change. Don't resist it. It has to come. Don't resist the change. It has to come. Change is a good thing. We need to keep this down. I'm ashamed of us when I see these numbers. I don't like that feeling myself. My daughters don't like that feeling. I don't want my children and grandchildren, my nieces, my nephews, my family members to feel bad. I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be at a store and some altercation is going on and when the police show up, they're going to look at me. You will get a lawsuit. Because chances are I have nothing to do with that forecast. So don't, the assumption that it must be a person of color is going to harm you, not me, because there will be a lawsuit ensuing. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to attack 
our own biases that promote the kind of behavior that leads to police officers taking their violence and their hatred out on people of color. Do not hire them. Subject them to a hiring process that is so rigorous that they won't become a police officer. Let them go be a security guard or something. But you can't give them license to kill. You have a responsibility when you put that uniform on. You have a responsibility to have to uphold the law, yes, but you also have a responsibility to teach the people. De-escalate tension. If you're going to have to restrain someone, can you slap the cuffs on without shooting them? If they're not responding to your entreaties, fire the shot so they get on the ground. But though you don't have to kill them. And for the love of God, what's with this wild, wild west thing of pumping bullets into people? What do you think? They are a rubber dummy? Is that what this is? Is this a joke? Do you guys, when you get home and you go to your place where all guys gather together, your watering holes, do you just sit there and talk about how I just pumped lead into him? What do you think that is? That's not a human being? If you get off on that kind of thing, then being a police officer is perhaps not your calling. Let's just be clear. Because that's not what policing does. That might have worked in the 19th century when you were doing slave patrols and capturing people. I have a list of people I'd like you to go after. They're called human traffickers. Can you go after them? Hey, don't we all want that, ladies and gentlemen? Don't we want them to go after the human traffickers and the serial rapists and the child molesters and the wife beaters and the girlfriend beaters? We want that, don't we? Yeah. I can give you a list. Check me out. Right? We can't have insurance companies regulating the police. That doesn't make sense. I'm surprised the police union have not talked about this. I'm surprised. Very surprised. The insurance companies are regulating how the police do their business. And I don't know that it's necessarily a good thing for us. They're quietly leading the reform. But where is this going to end? Is it going to end in a good place for people like me? That's the question. My name is Harriet Kemmer. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure for me to host this episode of Down to Earth. Join me again for more information about me. You can go to my website, HarrietKamek.com. Of course, I have a book. My books are on the web. You can Google me and find my books are available on Amazon.com as well as BarnesandNoble.com. Get my book, Through the Fire, on Amazon.com. And help us as we spread the message of nonviolent change. We want change. It doesn't have to be violent. Right? Listen for me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I thank you so much for being a part of my show this evening. This show will be uploaded to Spotify. Share it with your friends, your police officer friends. Yeah. Tell them I said, hey, I don't want to feel unsafe. Right? Just tell them I said that. Love you, everybody. Be blessed, everybody. Thanks so much. Have a good evening. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.